Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Welcome to our new series, 20 Questions, where we dive into the top sales and marketing pain points we hear from B2B owners. If your sales and marketing have been stalled, it's time to break through with these 20 questions. Now to your host, Jose Palomino. Welcome everyone to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. I'm your host, Jose Palomino. And as you know by now, I'm the owner, founder, and CEO of Value Prop. And we work with owners of B2B companies, who are looking to get off a plateau, who maybe feel stuck right now, not quite sure why. And we help those owners and their leadership teams figure out why they're stuck, what to do about it, what to work on first and get going. So doing this for close to 20 years at this point, uh, really have heard a lot of different questions asked all the time, early stage, mid stage, late stage in an engagement. And so I said, well, what are some of those questions? And my team and I, we put together a list of questions. We also actually took advantage of um, AI technology now and asked ChatGBT a form of that question. What are owners looking for help with in terms of marketing? And so our focus in this series is marketing questions. And I've answered 15 of them in three prior episodes. And they were a little uh, longer, so they might have actually been cut up by my team into two episodes. But you'll see them and enjoy them, hopefully. And 20 questions we've answered and uh, with this episode. And this is not everything that could be asked in marketing, but they cover a pretty wide swath of things that anybody who's reading, paying attention, taking advantage of what's out there right now would be asking. Now, our, our audience uh, as a business, as value prop, and therefore this podcast, tend to be the owner, operator, of a small to mid-sized B2B company, generally in that two to $25 million revenue range. However, I think these answers will hold up for just about anybody in the marketing continuum. And uh, well, you'll be the judge. And, and that's the other thing. Let me know. Drop me a line. You can uh, certainly just send me an email at jose at valueprop.com. You could visit me, find me on LinkedIn, connect with me, message me. Or if you want to talk to me, and if you think I might be able to help you with something that you're dealing with right now in the strategy, marketing, sales, continuing, essentially revenue growth, you feel a little bit stuck, maybe revenue is okay, but profit or margin aren't, isn't as strong as it should be, any challenge at all, if you want to talk about it, see if we can help you, it's about a 30-minute conversation. All you have to do is go to Jose Palomino, J-O-S-E, Palomino, P-A-L-O-M-I-N-O, all together, josepalomino.com. And it'll bring you to my scheduler. You can get on my calendar. We'll have a Zoom conversation. I'll ask you questions about you so I know your situation and context. I'll answer any question you have about how we work and what we do and how we, we might be able to help you. So take a look at that uh, when you get a chance and see if that is something you want to pursue. But let's get to it now. We're at question 16 now, and that is, what should my B2B marketing budget look like? And how can I optimize it? It's a two-part question. I'll answer the first part because I get asked this a lot. Like, what should I spend on marketing? 
And then you'll see things in his articles that say it's to be, it should be 5% of sales. It should be uh, 2%, depending how big you are. It's all those kind of questions. And the way I like to answer that is, first of all, it should not be zero. Uh, so you should be spending some money every year on marketing. If for no other reason than to refresh your collateral, your website to keep it current, to give you some materials you might need. Even if you're not doing anything fancy, you just need some tools to show up in the world. It, it, it just signals to your prospective customers that you're serious about their business, serious enough that you thought through some of these things. Some things that we don't always think about as um, a marketing question, but it's very critical that you pursue it, is getting your messaging right. Like, what is your brand promise? Like, what do you want people to associate your company with? What values? What outcomes? Not just we do X, but how do you do X? Why do you stand out? Those are big strategic questions. Um, that's something that you have to wrestle with because your prospects are, 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 are including that in their contemplations, especially if you're in a category that could be deemed somewhat commodity. So if you're a CPA, for example, and you have a nice size, a 20-person CPA practice, that's not differentiated in and of itself. Lots of CPAs can do people's tax returns and do them well. And these days, there's more and more automation, technology. So the lower end of the market is going to eat it away by technology and advances in that area if you're a CPA. So why should I deal with you? Answering that is the critical question it's when you start looking at, so therefore, what do I need to invest in to get that messaging right? Do I need help to do that, to figure that out? How do I articulate that in words? That's part of your marketing budget. And then how do I get that message out to the people I need to meet that I'd like to meet? Is that going to be through online advertising? Is it going to be advertising in, a, in an industry journal that your customers read? Are you going to be doing trade shows? You know, a small trade show booth at an average size industrial professional conference could be, you can lay out when you figure out travel, the booth, the employee time, hotels, meals, 50 grand. So when you look at your budget allocation, I really think you start with, is our messaging, our identity, what we want people to think about us, is that clear? Start there. Secondly, if you're in B2B, chances are most of your revenue comes on the other side of a sales conversation. Whether it's you as the owner or you actually have sales team, this they're going to engage in a conversation. Do you have the tools, whether that's collateral, PowerPoint presentations, uh, spreadsheets that describe the ROI? Is that built out for you already? Do you have that stuff? It's just some basic stuff. A cut sheet, a single two-side cut sheet, if you farm it out to a good firm that could do that, could be anywhere from $1,000 to $2,500 for a cut sheet on a product done from scratch with proper design. Well, that sounds like a lot, but is it really? I mean, unless you're creating new products every year, like a dozen a year, chances are you have four or five product lines. Maybe you tweak them every other year. So your one-time investment or something like that might be $10,000, $15,000. Your website, you could do things uh, like, for example, using things like Wix, uh, which lets you do it yourself. But usually the challenge there is not getting access to the tool. It's figuring out how to do it and having the time to do it. So you probably farm that out. 
on the low end, that's going to be a few thousand dollars for somebody who's good, decent, who works with one of, the, one of those platforms. On the high end, you could spend like any amount of money on a website, but you know, typically ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year to not only launch a website but have somebody take care of it for you. SEO generally is going to be for a small company anywhere from a thousand to twenty five hundred dollars a month to have somebody actually create some content for you, get you ranked in Google. And again, we've talked before that. Chasing after the ultimate ranking could be hard, but to like not be invisible is probably a responsible spend. So when you add it all up, you're probably spending twenty-five dollars to $50,000 a year in marketing-related stuff, even at the low end, if you want to have any traction at all. Do I think you need to spend half a million dollars? No, uh, not, not typically. But again, if you're a $40 million company wanting to become a $100 million company, well, yeah, then maybe you will. You'll have to fuel growth. You have to extend your footprint in some way. So there's no one answer to this, but I really want you to think about the things you're trying to solve. Tools for sales, a website that represents you well, and then outreach as part of marketing. And that's all very industry dependent. So that's something we can certainly talk about, but I think you can think about that that way. And that's a start. You could farm all of this out to a full service agency, but I think you should think about these things first so you have some idea of what you're interviewing them for, what you're asking them to do, uh, because they all have programs. And some of those programs could be candidly overkill or, frankly, a lot less than you should be spending, depending on what your goal, how your goals might be, how ambitious your goals are. More ambitious, you're going to have to spend more money to fuel the awareness campaign, the branding. Those things just cost some money to happen. And I know you might be thinking, well, everything's supposed to be free on the web, right? Social, who can post, you know, anyone can post at any time. It's so easy. Yes, and uh, it's so easy. So therefore, a lot of people do it. And so how do you stand out above that is uh, measures of quality and is, is execution is actually art and science and doing it well. So think about that as you think about what you should be allocating to your B2B marketing budget. So question 17. How can I leverage my current staff to handle marketing tasks? Well, it has a lot to do with who your staff is, right? So, uh, but if you have fairly, well, let me be careful how I say this. Intuitively, I'd say fairly younger staff might be more up to date in some, some of the things like uh, social media and things like that. However, my mother-in-law is way ahead of us in terms of her use of social media everything from TikTok to, you know, Facebook, all of that stuff and in it, conversing, joining, connecting people and so on. So age isn't the sole determinant, but it is a question you should ask. It's just how connected is my current staff to any of this stuff that's going on right now? So that's the first thing. Are they, what are they capable of doing? Well, almost anybody in any office situation can print out a letter print out an envelope, which by the way, is somehow still a dark art to print envelopes on printers, but you can figure it out. So right away, you can send letters out. Phone calls can be made uh, looking for appointments, but you need a certain kind of person to do that. I'm saying if you have staff in, in house, uh, learning how to update your website, either in WordPress, if it's in WordPress, can be a little dangerous in a platform like Squarespace or Wix. 
it's easier for them to learn to maintain that. HubSpot, they should get training. So if there's a training day available and you're on HubSpot, for example, spend the money and send that person to it so you're not dependent on third party all the time to do all these little things. Things like MailChimp are very learnable. Things like uh, Calendly and other tools I've mentioned in this series. These are all learnable things. A video. I'm doing video right now on Zoom with a backdrop to keep it nice and clean. A, I don't know, $100, $200 USB mic to give us good sound. Just careful to make sure I have the right lighting. Now, is this studio quality? No. But most people, you, first of all, you might be just hearing this episode on a podcast channel, you know, Apple, Google, Spotify. Or if you're watching this, you're watching this on your phone. So it has to be good enough. Uh, so there, there's a lot of things your staff can learn to do for you and with you. The key thing to leveraging a staff is have a realistic set of things you want them to do and take the time. If you're the leader, you're the owner to lay out a list of things you want them to do every month and over time, like there's some longer term projects you'd like them to work on and give them permission to say to you, boss, I don't know how to do this then you have an inflection point decision. Uh, do you want to spend time, maybe a couple of hours a week for them to learn that task? In which case they can learn a lot of stuff for free on YouTube and other things like that. Udemy be 20 bucks to learn something, how to edit video or something like that. Commit to that. Or decide that you want to outsource to somebody to do the work. And that's always going to be your inflection point. But the main thing to leverage in your staff is don't just say, do marketing for me to somebody who's never done marketing in any structured way. You're going to have to provide some structure for them so they have a shot at being successful. And if you're a little bit bigger company, you should maybe be looking at hiring somebody right out of school with a marketing degree. It might be a first job. They may only hang out with you for two years, depending on size company and opportunities you can show them. But they can learn a lot. They can do a lot of different things for you, which is a great learning experience for them. And you can find another one and keep doing that in series. If you want somebody doing coordinating of collateral, you know, cut sheets, downloadable assets that would be on your, on your website or find one or more good third-party relationships. And for those, you really need to think through what you want from them. So you, you can leverage your staff for that activity and say, what do we want? We, we've been trying this for six months. What do we need third-party for? What do we think that is? Let's make the punch list. So you, know, you wouldn't ask somebody to remodel your house to just say to the remodeling expert, okay, come in, get started. You would tell them, we want you to remodel this kitchen, this bathroom. This is what we want to get out of it. Specificity is the key way you can avoid massive, and it can be massive, cost overruns in outsourcing anything or even in your internal uh, resource consumption. So think about that. What do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? And as you get resource for it, you're being very specific. That will help contain costs from, you know, getting crazy on you. All right. How can I build and nurture relationships with B2B influencers or thought leaders? All right. This is not going to apply to everybody on this, uh, watching this episode, but it's, it's more important than you might think. It's basically saying there are people in your industry or in your prospect industries, that if they gave a good word, a shout out to your firm by name, 
it would help your business. If somebody who is a, a guru in financial planning, uh, let's say he's on, you know, a well-known podcaster, people download episodes all the time. And they said, you know, the best CPA service to, to work with people who are in this investment program is, um, you know, Acme CPAs uh, and your Acme CPAs. That's a great shout out that could turn into business. That's an influencer. So in B2B, there's a lot of these folks that are out there in every industry, especially in technology, uh, IT, traditionally, software, technology, that kind of thing. There's a lot of, and the historic group that became very formal was Gartner Group, Yankee Group, Meta, Forrester. These are the expert influencers, expert B2B players. Uh, today, like most other industries, is a more informal group. So that's why they're important. And they might be important to you. So you build and nurture relationships with them. I think by just introducing yourself, you could do that today on LinkedIn. They might ask you to do that on the page. Uh, if they're selling something like a book or magazine, I don't mean their $10,000 course, but something that you could buy and read about and then comment on to them, uh, back to them about it. Hey, I read your book on pricing and I had a question on your chapter three. Uh, you mentioned this, I found it to be this way, and you start dialoguing and getting known by them. Now, that's a long way around the park. But the reality is, these are, if they're really well-respected thought leaders, uh, they're not going to appreciate you just saying, hi, can you promote me? It's not going to work. So it's about long-term relationship development, and you can do it. It can be done. You're not going to get 42 of them. You might get one or two. And you may decide that juice is not worth the squeeze for that much effort. And that's okay. But if you're bringing something to market that's new and fresh, and you just don't think you're known enough, like you've developed a new way to squeeze the lemon to get juice out of it, and you say, but nobody knows how to do this, you know, in an industrial category, then you really want to work that. The other set of influences could, of course, be big customers customers that are willing to go on the record with a testimonial and they are de facto influencers. Some industries, if a big company buys a product, everyone else follows. So just think about how you might connect with people and just remember they're people. So just like you wouldn't want to be hustled into something, they won't either. And, but if you have a legitimate reason to speak to them and to connect with them, you can develop a relationship and, it, and then you become uh, something they're someone they're aware of, a company they're aware of that doesn't guarantee if they are truly a thought leader in their space, that they even will think as favorably about your stuff as you think about your stuff. So there's always the risk that you expose yourself to a thought leader who says, don't use Acme CPA. So th that's the thing you have to kind of be self-aware where you are in, in the ecosystem that you're competing in. Okay, so uh, related question to this, uh, question 19. How can I create and leverage case studies and customer testimonies for B2B marketing? Boy, this is one of the most important things you could ever do. Testimonials, they are risk mitigators. And what I mean by that is somebody is researching, and we've all read the research, and it's been well-documented, corporate executive board documented this years ago, it's been reproduced, that buyers today in the 2020s as opposed to the 20 aughts or the 20 teens, and certainly anything before that, buyers today over the last 20 years 
have become used to. And, and if you check yourself, you realize this is totally true. Doing a lot more research online before reaching out to a prospective supplier. It's that simple. They're not calling until they've thought through and gotten educated. So um, Marcus Sheridan, who wrote uh, They Ask You Answer, and he's been a guest on our podcast. You can look up Marcus Sheridan on the search box and find two ep- two interviews I did with Marcus and um, one with Zach Basner, who works with Marcus, all on that same principle of giving really good educational information. So I, I recommend that greatly. But the key with case studies and customer testimonials is somebody's researching and they say, huh, that looks like an interesting option, but nobody wants to be the first one. I mean, they are the very bleeding edge people who want to be the first one on, but even there to be the first one buying the new Apple contraption that Apple comes out with is a low risk move because you're assuming Apple's going to make it good or at least adequate. But if you're a small company competing in B2B, you may not be well known. So you want to see that has somebody else tried this? Can somebody else say this is good? And who are they? So one of the worst kind of pe- testimonies you can have is uh, Alice B. Kansas City says blah, blah, blah. Or a project leader at construction company in the Middle East, in the Middle West. Um, that's like a like, is that a real testimonial? Is that a made up uh, sentence that was made up? It's, it's kind of silly at that point. No one, it doesn't have any weight. Name, rank, company, real quote, powerful. Video testimonial, better. Short video. Now you can get a long, a five minute testimonial, cut it up, transcribe it. So you can use the text quote, the, the words from that video as well. Make sure it's accurately transcribed. Don't just lean on AI because it'll mix up words. Uh, It just does today. It's not quite there yet. Uh, But the key is all of this reduces the perceived risk of venturing in to even call you, to talk to you. So testimonials don't close the sale for you. What they do is they remove an obstacle on the way to the end zone. Okay, just, just think about it that way. Now, case studies really only makes sense if you sell something larger, more complex, where there has to be a story told. And there again, very powerful, can be rendered as a, you can have a two paragraph case study. And and by the way, all of these things should follow a trend. uh, And uh, Sean D'Azuzu, who's a great copywriter, wrote the book called The Brain Audit, talks about this. And so I recommend that, look it up on Amazon, you should find The Brain Audit by uh, Sean D'Azuzu. And uh, one of the things he talks about here is the idea of how you eliminate, how you make a testimonial uh, reduce risk. And basically, it starts off with the person saying, I had this problem. They defined the problem. I looked at these options to solve that problem. I heard about Acme, but I didn't believe they could help me because. And then I discovered that they could, and this is what happened, the results. May not be doing full justice to his his system, but it's a simple idea that you want the reader or the viewer to enter into the thought pattern through the testimonial that they're going through themselves. I have a problem. I've tried this. 
checking out this website, but I don't know. It seems doubtful they can do that. Huh? They can't. Oh, and that's the results. That's the progression you want, a case study and a testimonial to go on. Okay, here we are. Question 20, the last of this series. And uh, I hope this has been helpful to you. Again, really would appreciate feedback. Uh, email uh, jose at valleyprop.com. If you want to talk to me personally, just go to josepalomino.com. And uh, you can just uh, schedule a time and we can have a chat. I get to know you, you get to know me. And uh, if it makes sense, we can, I'll show you and explain to you various ways we might be able to help you. Uh, if it's not something we can help you with, but I, I have an idea of what you might want to be doing next, I'll be happy to share that with you as well. And of course, that's all complimentary. Uh, you'll invest your time, we'll invest ours and see if there's a there there. Of course, we have lots of other, almost 300 episodes on business growth on purpose. So do subscribe. We publish about twice a week, so we're getting new episodes all the time. We interview experts all the time uh, on a various things that have to do with growth and a really a tight focus on that owner-led business. That's, our, that's where our heart is. That's where my heart is as an entrepreneur. Been doing this a long time, worked with dozens and dozens of businesses, unlocked about a quarter billion dollars worth of growth on just the, the uh, client engagements we've worked on. And I've seen about half dozen of them go right to very, very successful exits as well. So very excited to work with entrepreneurs, with fellow business owners, and being helpful any way we can. Of course, you go to Amazon and find my book, Value Prop, uh, published years ago, but it's still a, it's kind of like an evergreen. The principles will absolutely still be true. We use them every day with our clients right now. And, uh, and just check out any, any other resources on our site at valueprop.com. So here we go. Question 20. How can I align my sales and marketing to improve lead generation and conversions? Well, for very small companies, there is no sales and marketing team. It's like you. You're doing both. If you're a little bigger, you might have two or three salespeople and marketing really is you. And maybe you have a VP of marketing that's sort of that. If you're a little bigger on the bigger side of that 20, 25, 30, 40 million dollars, you might have both. You might actually have sales leadership, sales team, a small sales team, and an actual marketing team. So here's, here's the idea, and think of it this way. Sales is what you do to really, ultimately, to convert opportunities. Opportunities being prospects, the right kind of prospects, have indicated they, they are considering you or would like to consider you to help solve a problem they have. Now, there is a sales activity where you're knocking, proverbially knocking on doors. You don't know if they're interested in you. You don't know if they have a problem you can solve. You're just prospecting. And there's some of that. And I tend to put that in the middle area between marketing and sales because it's a salesperson doing the work many times, but it's really a marketing activity trying to find opportunity. So marketing does two things. It looks to find opportunities but it also looks to all the necessary equipping and positioning and thinking about what market you should be in. So that's like the real strategic pieces. What sets you apart? That's the competitive analysis. How you communicate your value proposition as really looking at your product, your value to the customer, who your ideal customer is. That's the broad market. It could be aerospace. The very specific thing could be people working on 
private planes, for example, or upholstery on private planes. It could be that focused. So marketing is looking at a lot of big picture issues, bringing it down to trying to find where the prospects are and then trying to create magnets that get prospects interested in what you're offering or at least considering you, shortlisting you. There's a there's an overlap where sales gets involved and actually wants to pull people forward into deeper consideration, education, and then obviously involved in a selection process and persuasion, those kind of classic sales activities. So right away, you start thinking, well, gee, that sounds like it's a flow, and it is. And that's the point. Uh, marketing and sales have to be working in the same direction with the same messaging. And I really do believe there's a much greater opportunity. And in very large organizations, ironically, this is done less because they have kingdoms, the sales kingdom, the marketing kingdom. People have big jobs, big bonuses, all riding on what they do in each category. And they kind of talk to each other, but it's not deeply integrated. In a smaller organization, this could be much more cohesive and it should be. It's about understanding your strategic position in the world, who you're targeting, why you're different in a meaningful way to them, and then how to reach them, how to engage with them all the way through, how to bring them in. And then there's even a further part beyond that, which is now being often referred to as customer or client success, which is how do we make sure that that initial transaction with the customer turns out to be the first of many over the lifetime value of that customer to my business. Not just a one-time flip where I close them, but in fact, bigger that I'm actually developing a relationship that has headroom, legroom, room to grow. So my answer is these two things have to be worked together. And I like to see them even in a smaller company, sub 30, $40 million dollars. Uh, that maybe it'd be a chief revenue officer or it could be a chief marketing officer, which has sales, some sales responsibilities roll up under them. And that's a little heretical to some, but the bottom line is if you're a small company, you got to move quickly. And ultimately these things roll up under the CEO owner or the CEO of a company that size that has to see who we're targeting, how we different for them, how are we engaging them, and then how are we going through a sales process that that actually gives them um, the comfort, the certainty that they can choose us? So on that note, those are the 20 questions we've gone through. I hope I've done justice to what people were looking for to understand a little bit more. And I know in some cases, my answer is you got to think about it further. And there's just no shortcut. There. There's no easy, just do this and magic happens. Uh, I know there are people out there who will speak in those terms. I'm not one of them. I think the reality is these things require some effort and thought to really overcome the hurdles, but also more importantly, to leverage the opportunity that they represent. So until next time, uh, to your success, as always, it's been my pleasure. Jose Palomino here, CEO of Value Prop, and I'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Business Growth on Purpose. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. 
And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth On Purpose.